Welcome to Coach House Talks. So this is the Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead and presenting himself to Mary Magdalene and the women at the tomb, making a statement, risen and alive, just as he said that he would. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. See, that scripture that's just been read, that is the first mention that Jesus makes to his disciples or anyone that not only would he be killed, but that he would rise again from the dead. A statement he made quite plainly to his disciples, his followers at that time. Jesus was making it plain to them that there was a plan and it was the plan. The plan was not throwing off the shackles of tyranny and oppression that from the Roman Empire who occupied them at that time, who they were kind of held in, in captivity by, if you like. It wasn't to throw off the shackles of that, that wasn't the plan, but something much bigger, much wider, more significant. But how could they comprehend it? I'm sure that the followers would have struggled with the nature of this plan. What does dying accomplish? What's the point? Even if Jesus rises from the dead, as he's promised, how would that change things? Surely the enemy wins when Jesus finds himself crushed and defeated in death. John 12 tells us this. This is Jesus replying to some of the questions that he's been asked. And Jesus replies, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted on the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a beautiful, plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care for nothing, or those who care nothing for their life in this world, will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honour anyone who serves me. You see, Jesus fully comprehended the enormity of his death and his resurrection. He knew what it would accomplish. And that's why he went through with it. But to fully understand what was being accomplished on that Easter morning, on that Easter time that we celebrate today, we have to understand the imagery of the first Easter. We have to understand what going through the motions of going into the tomb and rising from the tomb to life, how that was significant for those who understood the law, the Mosaic law, and followed the, 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 the rules and regulations as laid down to them. You see, many, many years earlier, when Moses was leading the people of Israel, which we read about in the Old Testament, in the first few books, instructions were given regarding various ceremonies and festivals that were to be followed 
in order to maintain a right standing with God. In other words, you had to do these things in order for God to look upon you and you'd be right. In Leviticus 16, there are instructions laid out for the ceremony which would cover the sins of the people. So when you do something wrong, when they've spent a year and they've been complaining and muttering like they do, and like we do, there's this plan, this ceremony, this sacrifice for atonement, it's called. It happens once a year. And it's the one day in the year when the priest can enter into the Holy of Holies, the innermost sanctuary in the tabernacle. This is where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's the place where God's glory rests. It says this in Leviticus 16. Warn your brother Aaron, said Moses, not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there. And I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. You can see what the picture's been painted, that God is residing in that place, that he is managing, he is directing his people from the ark of the covenant, contained in the holy of holies, that most holy of places. And once a year, the high priest was allowed to go in there and make sacrifice and atone for the sins of the people. So everything they'd done wrong in that past year, one sacrifice following very precise instructions to give them forgiveness of their sin. Now, there's a Jewish tradition. So you won't find it in scriptures. It is a Jewish tradition, although I've heard it talked about in churches up and down the country where the high priest would have a rope tied around his waist with bells attached to it. So as he goes into the Holy of Holies on this one day a year, if he dies, if he does something wrong, they could be, he could be dragged out, he could be pulled out from the Holy of Holies so no one else would have to enter in, because they couldn't. If he didn't follow the instructions, struck down dead. It's a very, very powerful picture of god's glory so the bells would keep jingling if all was well but if it was not then the body of the priest had to be dragged from the holy of holies now i don't know how true that is with the rope it is jewish tradition however what we do know is that part of the priestly garb was a robe with bells sewn into the hem so if you read the instructions in Leviticus for the way that the priest should dress. There's this robe, and in that robe, in the hem of that robe, around the, 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 the circling that robe is this pomegranate and bells sewn in. So that the priest could be heard jingling as he was in the presence of the Lord. If those bells went silent, there was a problem. So when the bells could be heard, the people outside would know that the priest was okay. Now, there are no recorded incidents of the priest not coming out from the Holy of Holies. So, from all intents and purposes, they did the sacrifices, they followed the rules correct, they did the ceremony correctly. Although there are two of Aaron's sons, it's recorded in Leviticus 10, who lost their lives when they failed to follow some instructions correctly. But it appears that this was perhaps in the tabernacle, but not in the inner sanctuary. 
We also have the incident when the ark is being transported back to Israel after it had fallen into the hands of the Philistines and they were returning it. It was being carried on an oxen, oxen cart. And as it bumped in the road, the ark was about to fall on the floor. And this guy called Uzzah put his hand out and touched the ark to stop it falling. And as soon as he touched the ark, he was struck down dead. All of this points out to us how holy the presence of God is. So remember the ark represents where God resides, where his glory is. And it's a most holy of places. It's not a place to be taken lightly. But it also shows us something else. Jesus laid aside his glory when he came to earth as a man. He is part of the Trinity and therefore God. However, children could sit on his knee. His disciples could eat and recline at the table with him. They were allowed to touch him physically after his resurrection. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus emptied himself. He gave up his divine privileges. He laid his glory aside. Now this is really important because Jesus lived a life as a man to live a sinless, pure life as a man, not as God. He did not stop being God, but he laid aside his divine glory and humbled himself to the will of God, proving his obedience even to death. In the Levitical model, when the sacrifice for atonement is made and the blood is sprinkled on the altar of the Lord, the priest would exit the Holy of Holies and present himself before the people. Now, this was an amazing part of that ceremony. When the priest comes out from the, from the Holy of Holies, when he's made the sacrifices and he's followed the rules and everything's been okay, the bells have carried on jingling, he comes back out. When the priest appears before the people, it would signify something very special. It would signify this, that the sacrifice was acceptable. That the people's sins up to that point had been forgiven. And so there would be great rejoicing. Now, recourse, this ritual is repeated every year, all the way through from, the, from Moses when, it, when the instruction was given. It's carried out every year unless the temple doesn't survive. So in reality, in 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, all of the sacrificial system would stop. However, something's been missed. Because a few years before the temple was destroyed, Jesus had already made a perfect sacrifice. He'd already offered himself for the forgiveness of sins for all people. His blood was shed on the cross, poured out for the forgiveness of sins, and he was placed in a garden tomb. This morning, this bright Easter morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The beautiful occasion of Jesus presenting himself to Mary and the women outside the tomb, and then later to the disciples. Do you catch the imagery? Do you catch what's going on here? Do you see the picture that this is painting? 
Just as the priests presented themselves to the people after offering the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, on that amazing morning in the garden, the sacrificial Lamb of God presented himself amongst the people in a moment of death-defying clarity. The resurrection proves that the sacrifice was acceptable to God. He didn't stay in a tomb. He came out from the Holy of Holies. He came out and presented to the people. He was saying, the sacrifice has been accepted. The pure spotless lamb has been offered on our behalf for you and for me. And it is acceptable. The bells are ringing. Our great high priest has entered into the Holy of Holies and offered his once-in-a-lifetime sacrifice. The sacrifice that was ordained, planned, and acceptable cleanses us from sin for all time. In the Levitical model, a goat has the people's sins symbolically placed on it. In other words, the sins of the people, the representation of their sins was placed on this scapegoat. That's where we get the term from, scapegoat. And this goat was allowed to run off and go into the desert away from the people. The sins were taken away on the scapegoat. Our sin is transferred onto the sinless, blameless one. And he has offered his life as a sacrifice to God. The beauty of this Easter morning is the acceptance of that offering. Jesus' sacrifice has paid the price and the resurrection proves it. It is acceptable. I think we just need to let that sink in for a moment. The curse of death has been broken by Jesus. And the resurrection shows that it's acceptable. So here it is. It isn't works or being good that makes us acceptable to God. It is only the sacrifice that was required of a sinless man, Jesus. And it puts an end to the ritual as signified by the ripping of the temple curtains, separating the Holy of Holies from the temple. There was only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies. That curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. Access for you and I into God's presence. We're all free to enter when we take upon ourselves the new clothing that Jesus has given to us. He clothes us with his righteousness we are given his righteousness 2 corinthians 5 16 says this so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view at one time we thought of christ as merely from a human point of view how differently we know him now this means that anyone who belongs to christ has become a new person the old life has gone. A new life has begun. We are new people. And here's the good news of this Easter. Here is what Jesus has accomplished for all those who accept and believe. There's been this amazing swapping going on. 
The whole of this weekend, this Easter weekend, has been one of swapping one thing for another. On Friday, my vile, detestable, sinful nature was put upon the pure, sinless, human form of Jesus. It drenched him. It consumed him. It killed him. It clothed him. Jesus, who had no sin in him, yet he clothed himself with my sin. And on Sunday, Jesus was alive. The sacrifice presented to God was seen to be acceptable. His righteousness now clothes us who believe. Our sinful bodies, which we still have, are clothed in righteousness, which has been tested, committed, and accepted for all time. The corrupt and vile exchanged for holiness. The sick made healthy. By his stripes or wounds we are healed, it says. We are spiritually made holy and complete. And I'm not sure that we kind of get that in our day-to-day lives sometimes. No wonder we celebrate Easter. But perhaps we should celebrate it more vigorously than we do. I want you to picture this. Maybe just close your eyes. The priest goes into the temple. The bells are jingling. All is well. And then silence. The bells have stopped. There's no movement. Something's wrong. How can we be free from our sin and punishment? And then after what seems an age, the tinkle of a bell, followed by another, followed by another, and hope starts to rise within us. Can I be hearing things? And then suddenly the priest reappears from behind the veil. Sorrow is turned to joy, hope from despair. Sin is paid for and I can breathe again. And so it is for us. The resurrection proves one thing without dispute. The sacrifice was acceptable to God. The payment was good. The penalty that was due has been fully covered. Today, the Day of Atonement is still followed by the Jews. It's called Yom Kippur, and it is the most sacred of days in the Jewish calendar. But they still wait for their savior. There's no temple, so there's no sacrifices, but they wait and they wait. As Christians, we know that we've been given access to God directly through the sacrifice of Jesus. The resurrection is the proof that the sacrifice was acceptable. We cannot know this and accept this without confronting change in our lives. It would be unacceptable for us not to be changed in light of God's grace and provision for us. We are new creations We're clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And I really, as we dwell on that clothed in righteousness, we looked at it in one of the uh, uh, Catholic evenings. 
and as I've kind of thought about that, it's become more and more of something that speaks to me. I put on clothing. I cover who I am with that righteousness. We're new creations. We are made right and justified before a holy God. Yes, the work of sanctification, that's the, the putting off of the old self and allowing the nature to, of Jesus to take hold in us is a daily struggle. But we have this great hope that he who has started a work in us will complete it. Jesus' death and resurrection has opened the way. It's given us a new standing. We can approach directly into the throne room. We have eternity to look forward to in God's presence. We're free from the consequences of sin and we have a savior who pleads on our behalf as we struggle to maintain the right balances in our life. And it's all because Jesus rose from the dead. It's all because that sacrifice that he was willing to make was deemed to be acceptable. And his resurrection proved the acceptance of it. Let me just finish by reading quite a passage from Hebrews 9. But it puts a lot of this into context. So just in case you're thinking, oh, I've just made all that up. Let's just see what Paul or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews laid down for us to read. So Hebrews 9 says this. That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There are two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. In that room were a gold incense, altar, and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves and the stone tablets of the covenant and above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins that people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented was still in use. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priest offered are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. At Easter time, that better, that better system, that new covenant was ordained for us. When we take communion on a Sunday, that's what we're celebrating, the new 
covenant given to us that our sins are covered that this old system has finished the temple has been the, the curtain has been torn we have access into the most holy of holies and this easter morning i just want to thank god that the sacrifice that jesus made for us was acceptable I think we're going to try and do some prayer. Has anyone raised any hands? No. Okay. Now is your chance to raise some hands if you want to say something. I just, I would, just want, I just want to praise God. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray anyway, and Jamie will keep a, an eye out on people. But if you've got chance and you want to say something, please take this opportunity. We want to do this as a family. We want to do this together. But I just want to thank God. I just want to thank God for Jesus. Jesus who took my sin upon himself. I'm going to cross and took my sin with him. And he swapped on that cross my filth, my sin. And he took it upon himself. And he's given me in exchange his righteousness, his goodness, his beauty. And I deserve death. But Jesus has given me life. And I just want to thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've accomplished. For all that you accomplished day by day. You sit at the right hand of the Father and you plead for us. When we get it wrong, when we foul up, you're pleading for us. And Lord, I just want to thank you that you are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the beginning and the end. There is nothing in between. And Lord, we wait patiently for your return that signals for us eternity and new life and new bodies with you forever. And we know that promise is sure. And we know it's true. And Lord, I want to thank you that you rose again that Sunday morning, that you came out of that tomb, that you came back and presented yourself to your people because the price had been paid. Death had been conquered. You had risen again. The sacrifice was deemed to be acceptable. And because of it, I can come right into your presence now and say thank you. So thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done and accomplished and all that you will continue to accomplish as your name is spread amongst the nations. We thank you with all of our hearts. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.